And we are live. Welcome to this week's episode of MicroConf on Air. I'm your host, Rob Walling. Every Wednesday, we live stream for about 30 minutes and we cover topics relating to building and growing startups that are ambitious, but they fit within the goals of our life, of not burning yourself out, of having good relationships and having purpose, finding freedom, and uh, having that long-term mindset that we talk about at MicroConf on Startups for the Rest of Us and with you know, the bootstrapped, self-funded crowd that we hang out with. So today, I'm excited in a few minutes to welcome uh, Christopher Gimmer. You may have heard of him. He joined me on episode 480 of Startups for the Rest of Us, and we talked about stair-stepping your way to SaaS. Um, he also has done two MicroConf talks. He did an attendee talk called How We Generate a 1,000 or More Than a 1,000 Signups a Week for Our SaaS Business. And um, that was back in, well, let's see, 2016 and 2019. So uh, exciting stuff talking with Chris today. Um, I'll have him on in just a minute. But before we dive into that, a couple housekeeping items. Now, the first one is, hope you've been enjoying the MicroConf talks that we are putting out. We're calling a MicroConf refresh that we're putting out on the podcast feed. So if you search for MicroConf on air in any podcatcher, you will find not only this here live stream coming to you asynchronously every Thursday morning, but every Tuesday morning, we are taking the best MicroConf talks from the past, what, nine years, 19 events, almost 10 years, 19 events. Uh, we're starting with the, the top five from our playlist. And so we've worked through, um, let's see, a talk from Jason Cohen, Joanna Weeb, um, trying to think who the third one was. I intro to all of them. Uh, Patio Levens, oh, Sherry Walling, um, my wife. And there's gonna be one for me, one from Patio Eleven. And, uh, and then we're just going to roll into it. So if you're not subscribed to that, I would recommend it. It's been really cool um, to hear those talks and to be able to do it while I'm riding my bike or doing the dishes uh, or what have you. So we've had a lot of uh, positive feedback about that, and I hope you've been enjoying it. And if you haven't, MicroConf on air, search that in any podcatcher and subscribe, or you can go to microconfpodcast.com if you want to listen in the browser. If you want to be the one, you want to be the one person who's listening to the podcast in a browser. Um, if you haven't already, speaking of subscribing, um, youtube.com slash microconf is our YouTube channel, and we are releasing these live streams, and we will be releasing uh, quite a few other videos that we released a couple hundred um, this year. Of course, that was as we started getting our, our YouTube um, you know, YouTube channel live, but um, youtube.com slash microconf, hit the subscribe button, and you'll get notified about our future live videos. Thank you, as always, to Basecamp and Stripe. They're our headline partners for the year. I really appreciate their, uh, you know, their investment and their faith in microconf. And uh, as always, you know, they make what we do just a little easier, and uh, we welcome their partnership and are happy to be partnering with them in 2020. So with that, let me intro our guest today, Mr. Christopher Gimmer. He's an entrepreneur and the co-founder of Snappa. That's at snappa.com, which is a bootstrapped SaaS app that helps non-designers create online graphics. He quit his day job in 2014 to work full-time on startups, and he's launched uh, several. You can actually hear that full story again back in Startups for the Rest of Us, episode 480, where he talked about this stair step of starting with something small and then getting a little bigger and a little bigger. And um, he mentioned on that show that Snap is doing seven figures a year now in revenue at a $10 a month price point. So really quite a unique, uh, you know, unique experience. And he's done, he and his co-founder have done the majority of it with content marketing and SEO. And that's why I love having practitioners on the show, right? It's founders who have an interesting story, but who are practicing something that's pretty, pretty complicated and, and, and hard to execute and do well. And Chris and his co-founder have been doing that. So Chris, thanks so much for uh, joining me on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. 
And um, so I want to call out this Twitter thread. You had a, a tweet stream from yesterday morning, it looks like. And in it, you said, in 2016, we decided to focus heavily on content and SEO as our core marketing channel. As you can see from the graph of our organic traffic, this channel has really paid off for us. Here are some of my thoughts around growing a traffic channel. Yeah, there's the graph. Thanks, Producer Xander. It's up and to the right in all the best ways. Um, <laughs> and it looks like if, if you did it in 2016, you know, it was flat for really until January of 2017. So it obviously took quite a, quite a you know, bit of time to to get that going. Um, and that whole thread is, is really interesting and filled with insights about, um, you know, about your experience doing this, starting small, building some big pieces of pillar content, getting the domain authority, and then how it gets easier from then on. So, um, we'll talk a little bit about that today. I want to kick us off. You know, you, you have mentioned this term a few times and, and I've heard it before. Um, but it's this content marketing flywheel. You want to, Tell, you know, if someone's listening in the audience here, they don't know what that is. Yeah, you want to let them know how you think about that? Yeah, so the way I think about a flywheel is essentially um, it's your marketing gets easier over time. And um, I think actually Rand Fishkin, the way he kind of described it, which I really like, is like um, there's, less, there's less friction over time. So if we think about content, for example, in the beginning, uh, it, it's generally really hard for a new website because they don't have the backlinks, they don't have the domain authority. Um, so it takes a lot of work and a lot of effort to get that like first post to rank and start getting you traffic. Uh, but the reason why I love content and SEO is that um, it gets easier over time. Um, and so in the beginning, and I, I kind of talked about this in the Twitter thread, is like we had to spend a lot of time doing you know, outreach and guest posting to try to build those backlinks uh, in order to start ranking. Um, but then you know, now that we're three, four years into it, we can publish a, a brand new post and within a couple of days, we'll start ranking um, at the first page of Google for some keywords just because we built up so much authority that Google knows if we're publishing something around visual content or social media, um, they're gonna pay attention to that. Um, so that's kind of the way I think about a flywheel is that it's ultimately like scalable marketing um, as opposed to, you know, something like paid advertising where typically your cost, your um, your cost per lead tend to get more expensive as you as you bid for more and more ad slots. Um, so that's kind of how I think about it. Sorry, Rob, but I don't know if you just muted your mic. I did. Thank you. Uh, I always <laughs> mute when I take a sip of tea and then I forgot. Um, thanks uh, for that, Chris. We have several listener questions also coming in um, through Slack. If you're not in MicroConf Connect, you want to ask questions of this or a future live stream, go to microconfconnect.com and sign up. And then we have a MicroConf on-air channel. Um, we have, it looks like three or four questions already. And I will um, pepper those in as we go. I obviously have some more <laughs> questions prepared for you, but I love the, the live interaction with the audience. So first question from Chris Achard. Chris Achard, sorry if I butchered the name, Chris. Uh, what are some of the pros and cons of having a lower priced product? Is SEO one of the only viable strategies for success for a $10 a month SaaS? Yeah, so obviously uh, I'm speaking in general terms here. There's there's going to be exceptions to the rule. Um, pros is typically, you know, when your product is only $10 a month, um, it's much easier to try things that are $10 a month and uh, there's not a lot of upfront commitment. So what you'll find um, is that 
you know, relative to like an enterprise SaaS, we have extremely high conversion rates from our homepage to a trial. Um, but then the cons is the retention. <laughs> so as you would expect, um, for the same reasons that it's so much easier to try a $10 product, um, typically what happens is um, they're usually uh, tend to have um, lower retention rates compared to like an, enter SaaS, uh, sorry, an enterprise SaaS product. Um, so I think, um, yeah, that, that's kind of the thing is like, you have to be aware of that. Um, so if you're going to do a $10 per month product, you have to be really good on acquisition, uh, because what you'll find is, um, generally you'll probably be somewhere in the five to 10% churn rate, uh, range, maybe even higher than 10%, but, um, five to 10% is, is pretty typical. Um, so if you're not able to continue to acquire new users um, each and every month and, and have a scalable marketing strategy, uh, you're, you're probably going to uh, start to plateau and, and struggle a little bit. Yeah, the, the three content, or the, I'm sorry, the three marketing strategies that I know of that can work with a really low price pod product, whether it's $10 a month SaaS or whether it's a $5, you know, iOS app um, are two of which you're doing content marketing, um, SEO which are, although they're interlinked, they're not necessarily the same. And SEO can be ranking in Google, it can be ranking in the iOS app store, it can be ranking in Amazon, it can be ranking in YouTube, it can be, you know, and we can name 20 WordPress plugin repo, we can name 20 repo, you know, places where SEO applies, it's not just Google. So content, SEO, and virality, right? That's where Dropbox yeah. had a big thing there. And, you know, if people referring uh, other folks is, is the other one, because these they effectively have to be free or almost free um, as you said, you can't really do paid advertising with when you're charging ten bucks a month. It'd be you'd have to. It would be a limited time. You'd have to find a new ad network that was cheap for you know, and then it, and then the window would close. Our next question is from Patrick Foley. He says, "Should you try? Uh, let's see. see. To start out, should you try for SEO, or should you just write good content and let the SEO take care of itself for a while?" Um, so again, my response might be a bit counterintuitive against the mainstream. Um, I really like the strategy of um, focusing early on one to three um, pieces of like cornerstone content, um, bottom of the funnel stuff. So basically you want to ask yourself, if someone were to land on this, on this blog post, would they potentially sign up for my product or service? Um, and essentially you want to look for keywords that have fairly high search volume um, related to your lifetime value. So if you're selling enterprise SaaS, that's like a thousand bucks a month, then obviously you don't need to have that much uh, search volume because even if a couple of those convert, like you're golden, uh, whereas, you know, a, a product like ours, um, we need, you know, ideally we're looking for search volumes in the, you know, hundreds and ideally thousands. Um, and then you want to look for um, fairly low or low enough competition that it's not going to be impossible. And then you just want to create um, much better content than what's currently ranking um, and then actually effectively promote those content. Once you once you have those, you know, two to three pieces of content that are ranking and doing well, then you can start publishing on a more frequent basis. Um, but I, I'm really not a fan of the I'm just going to write one blog post per week and, and hope hope that in three months time it's going to catch on. I, I generally think that's a bad strategy. Um, when you're a HubSpot and you've got, you know, an army or domain authority, um, then you can start publishing three to five posts a week and um, not have to do too much on the on the content promotion side. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that 
I think a, a lot of folks miss is the the fact that you need the domain authority to rank these yeah. days. And it didn't necessarily used to be the case, you know, five, 10, yeah. well, yeah. more like 10 or 15 years ago, this strategy that people, hey, I'm just going to throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and see what sticks it. It did work, but this stuff changes and it becomes more competitive. So yeah. wise words, sir. All right. Next question is from, uh, let's see, it's from Forrest. He says, what are some things to look for or any advice you might share on hiring someone for an SEO slash content marketing position? It's a good question. It's hard um, when you do it all yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing I will say, uh, we what we do is we've hired a really good freelance writer. Um, I when I think of content marketing, I think it could be split into two roles. You need someone who's really good with SEO. Um, so doing the keyword research, identifying what keywords would would work really well. Um, obviously, making sure all the on page SEO stuff is good. And then you have people that are just really good writers. Um, and I know for myself, it takes me so long to write a piece of content. Um, so what you could do is, I think you really have to some have, if you're gonna do this, I think you need someone in-house who can really own the marketing or SEO side of it, however you wanna frame that. But what you could do is hire a writer. Um, one of my favorite ways to do that is, um, look at some of the industry blogs. So for example, what we did was we looked on like social media examiner and some of those industry social media sites. And we looked at the people that were writing for those blogs. And then we basically uh, reached out to, um, reach out to one of the writers who we, who we noticed, uh, was continually writing really good stuff and, um, and, and was really one of the popular freelance writers. Um, and then she's been writing for us for like three years. Um, so that would be one, um, good piece of advice that I would give in terms of like finding, um, really good writers. Um, and I, on the writing side, I also think like, I'd rather pay up a little bit for quality than just outsourcing it to like some developing country for, you know, five cents a word or two cents a word. Um, you know, like, like Rob just mentioned before, it's, it's getting a lot more competitive now. So you really need to make sure that the quality is there. Yeah, quality is a big, big piece of it. I did used to, it was in specific niches, especially, it was pretty easy to rank, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and you could have lower quality content, but man, I don't, I don't know of many big ones now that, or even small niches yeah. where that works anymore. And I guess just to answer the like SEO side of it is, I mean, if you can't, I mean, the best way is just to find people that have done it, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's a thing, right? Um, yeah. Uh, you know, that, that would be like, show me, you know, three articles that you, you know, ranked in Google and what promotion did you did? Like, you know, how did you do the keyword research for this? Um, you know, I would ask them questions like, um, you know, how, how would you go and promote this piece of content? Um, you know, how would you uh, do keyword research uh, for, you know, three new pieces of content that we wanted to write for our blog? Um, and just make sure that, you know, they, they know what they're doing. Yep. Yep. All right. Um, I, you may have already answered this question, uh, but it, it came in before we started. It's from Pablo. He says, what do we do after having the three pieces of content and the landing pages? Because that's you talked about that in your Twitter thread and, and then just now. is I think you said that's when you can start publishing on a more regular basis. Yeah. So um, 
So just to put this in very practical terms, so what we did with with Snappa is, so we're a graphic design tool um, and you can use our tool to create like Twitter headers and Facebook covers and all that kind of stuff. Um, so one of the first keywords that we identified was Twitter header size. We found that a lot of people were searching for what the Twitter header size was. Um, and naturally, if someone's searching for what the Twitter header size is, there's a good chance that some of those people will actually need to create uh, a Twitter header. Um, so before we, and we actually started out with the kind of like one blog post per week, and then we realized it wasn't working and we scrapped it. And this is why, like, I've done both things and I can tell you which one works. <laughs> um, and then, so once we actually wrote the, the guide on the Twitter header size, which we felt was much better than all the other stuff that was ranking, it had high search volume, the, the, the competition wasn't as, as low. Then what we did was we started promoting that content. So we would share it in communities. Um, we, we manually reached out to people that were linking to some of the other articles that we felt were inferior and kind of said, hey, like, you know, we wrote this, which is a bit more comprehensive. Check this out. Um, again, that's getting a bit more uh, difficult nowadays because there's just so much, <laughs> so many people that are that are kind of doing this. But I think one of the things that still works really well is guest posting. So what we would do is we would go to like an industry blog and we would say, hey, you know, um, the co-founder Snappa, you know, uh, we're, we're doing a, a lot of stuff around visual content. I would like to write a, a blog post about, you know, five twips, five tips for creating a really good Twitter header. And then one of those tips would be like, you know, make sure you have the proper size and dimensions. And then we would link back to our own posts. Um, and then once we, once we started building those backlinks, essentially what happened is the blog post started ranking for Google for Twitter header size. Um, and then once we did that, we did, did the same thing for Facebook cover size. And then we, we just went down the list. Um, and then eventually what happens is once you, once you start building those backlinks, uh, your domain authority starts going up, um, then you can start increasing that, that uh, publishing frequency um, and, and start adding more blog posts. Um, and then, like I said, it, it starts to become a flywheel, right? So each, each blog post naturally becomes easier to rank than, than the one before that. Yep. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And we've danced around this topic a little bit, but you know, we've mentioned content marketing and we mentioned SEO. And yep. they're in, they're related, but they're not the same thing. And I'm wondering the way you think about um, how they relate. Like, is the main benefit of the content marketing that you're doing the or the long term organic traffic, or do you also view the content marketing as, hey, we're going to do a big social push, we're going to email the list, we want to get a spike a short-term content marketing spike for every piece of content in addition to the long-term organic traffic? So the way I think about it is that they all feed off each other. Um, so the thing with SEO is that it's much more difficult to get backlinks to what I would call a commercial page. Um, so obviously we have our homepage at snappa.com um, and then we have like landing pages for the specific use cases of our product. So we'll have a landing page that will rank for like Twitter header maker, and we'll have a landing page that ranks for Facebook cover maker. Um, but because those more like commercial pages, it's harder to get backlinks to those. So um, it's a lot easier to get backlinks to an article about the Facebook cover size. Um, but then in that article where we're talking about the Facebook cover size, naturally we'll link to our own page about the Facebook cover maker. Um, and essentially what you're doing is 
whenever you get a backlink to a blog post, that is that is only going to help your overall domain authority and all of the other pages on your site, as long as it's properly linked together. Um, so th that's kind of how how I see the long term benefits is that even if you're not getting like a ton of leads directly from that specific blog post, the fact that you're getting backlinks to um, individual blog posts is also going to help your overall domain authority, um, which will help you, um, you know, increase your your search results for those other landing pages and your homepage uh, and all that kind of stuff. So it it, it all feeds uh, it all feeds into one another. Very cool. Uh, we have a question from YouTube from Brian Rhodes. He says, how do you think about competition? I'd guess Canva, Canva gives you a run for the money. How do you compete with them? I presume they have funding. He mentions Guy Kawasaki. I don't know much about Canva. I don't know that I've used it, but um, broad question, how do you think about competition? And I think narrow question is like in terms of competing with a, you know, a specific competitor like Canva. Yeah, so Canva's like a, I mean, they have boatloads of funding now. They're, they're a really big competitor. Um, so obviously being bootstrapped, we can't like compete with them head on. So if you use Canva, you can, you, you can create like, you know, uh, wedding invitations and restaurant menus and magazine covers and all that kind of stuff. So what we've done is uh, we focus purely on uh, like the, like the B2B vertical. So we're only focusing on um, like the small medium businesses um, because that's where the commercial intent is. Um, there's not really much point uh, of us. And again, it makes sense for Canva because they have tons of funding and they have the team and resources to be able to go after like every single person that needs to create a design. Um, so in terms of going against funded competitors, especially, uh, you kind of have to like pick your lane and, and, and pick the niche that you want to uh, that, that you want to target. Um, we also focus strictly on online graphics uh, and we don't do print. And so that uh, enables us to keep the tool really quick, easy to use and, and really fast. So again, we, we basically just um, decided was like, how can we differentiate um, as a bootstrap company? We don't need to, you know, become a billion dollar unicorn. Um, and so, yeah, so we, we've, you know, we just identified what, where we think that we can di differentiate ourselves and then, and then focus on that. Yeah. Often, I mean, I've talked about this for years, starting in 2008, but like my book, 2010, a big uh, start small, stay small. Big thing is like pick a niche because big ass competitors who have to get big to succeed. Cause once you raise 10, 20, 30 million, you have to get huge. They have to ignore, they're not going to be very good at these little vertical niches, you know, whatever you pick be the best, be better than them at this. It's not that hard to do it because they're a general purpose tool and then position yourself, you know, like you've done on your, on your, your H1 is, I don't have it up right now, but you know, it's like build social media stuff for your business. Whereas they're like, I just went to th their homepage and I'm like, I don't even know what this is. You know, that was literally, I mean, if I had heard about it, I'm sure I would know, but like they, it's just a general purpose tool. So that, that's how you can kind of use um, a larger competitor's strengths against them almost. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, another question, a question I had is, um, I think one that comes up commonly when folks are doing a lot of, of SEO, a lot of content marketing and SEO. What about the risks? How are you, you know, are you concerned about the risks of having all your eggs in one basket, namely Google? Because Google is known to just smack down and, and whether they accidentally stomp all over your business model, I've had entire businesses just wiped out of existence because it was 90% SEO, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, and, and we know of others that have happened. So how do you, how do you think about that? How do you guard against it? Does it keep you up at night? That's a good question. Um, 
so a couple things. So obviously, like we we do, um, we we've grown pretty much um, primarily through organic SEO, but we do have a couple other channels. So like our direct channel is is pretty good. We have pretty good word of mouth because of our free plan. Uh, we have some affiliate stuff, uh, but yeah, the, the the majority is is through uh, organic and SEO. The way I would think about it is um, what I found is. A lot of the people who get the band hammer uh, or, or get crushed is a lot of them are doing kind of gray hat stuff. Um, so if you're if you're building a business for the long term is like you just really want to stay firmly on the uh, the, the, the the white hat uh, side. So like we've never done, you know, private private blog networks. We, we don't do like link exchanges, um, you know, basically just let alone black hat. Like we, we don't even venture into the, the, the gray hat stuff. Um, the other thing is, you know, I think, you know, the stuff, the stuff that we're writing is like, it's really valuable stuff. And the one thing with Google is, um, I think they tend to go after like really big lucrative industries. So travel is one where I think a lot of, you know, like Expedia and, and Yelp and some of those, uh, industries have, have kind of been affected by that, but it's like, is Google really going to come after, you know, social media graphics and and come down on us like sure the risk is always there um so i think it's it's kind of like a niche by niche and and case by case basis but i think in terms of like general advice is like you always want to try to diversify diversify your traffic in some way um you know you don't want to just have one blog post that's bringing you like all of your traffic or one landing page that's why again you want to up that frequency you want to get uh more than one blog page that's ranking. You want to get your landing pages going. Um, we're, we're adding YouTube into the mix now. So you, you want to, you know, eventually broaden that, uh, that funnel as, as wide as you can. Very cool, sir. And in the couple minutes we have left, we've had a lot of good participation today. Good listener questions coming in. I think we have another one we may not have time to get to, but, um, I wanted to find out more about your YouTube strategy. You, you mentioned, uh, offline that you, you know, with Snapper, you guys are, are poking your head into the YouTube uh, funnel because it's just, a, I mean, it's the second largest search engine by volume, right? Um, yeah. So kind of why wouldn't you if you're already good at this other thing? So I'm curious to hear how you guys are are thinking about that. What's your mental framework and how you're pushing into YouTube from essentially a cold start, I'm assuming? Yeah. So um, one of the really interesting things with YouTube is there's obviously a lot of overlap with, um, you know, traditional Google search. And we started noticing, especially that, um, you know, now when you search for a keyword like, you know, how to create a thumbnail, um, you know, sometimes like the top three results, even in Google, are like actually YouTube videos. Um, and the other thing is that because we're already getting so much traffic from our uh, a lot of our blog posts, what we started doing was like embedding YouTube videos within those blog posts. Um, and then those start ranking kind of in YouTube uh, on their own. So, you know, we, we kind of looked at, um, you know, Google search is, is doing really well and YouTube is just a, a really natural, um, you know, a, additional layer to that flywheel that, that you can build out. Um, so uh, in the, that's kind of been one of our goals for 2020. Um, and, you know, in the last 90 days, uh, you know, I think our channel had like a couple hundred, you know, subscribers and now it's at like 22 or 2300. Um, mm-hmm. You know, some of our recent videos are pulling in like 30, 40,000 views. Um, 
And so it, it's, you know, we're, we're definitely seeing some like really, really good uh, early results with that. Uh, I don't know if you want me to go into some of the things we, we've, we felt has been working for us. Yeah, I think so. We got one or two minutes. Let's roll into it. Sure. Um, I actually asked uh, Nick. He, he's doing a lot of our videos. I was like, hey, I'm going to do MicroConf on air. So he gave me a bunch yeah. of stuff. Um, cool. So uh, a couple things is um, obviously you want to do keyword research similar to how you would do it for regular SEO. And obviously it's going to be a bit different. Um, Ahrefs uh, even actually has like keyword, uh, keyword research specifically for YouTube, um, which you can check out. Um, one tool that, that's uh, been really helpful is called vidIQ. And essentially what mm -hmm. you can do is you can go on competitor videos and see what tags uh, they're using. Um, and that's been, that's been pretty solid. And then the other thing that he was mentioning has, has worked really well is to actually script out your videos uh, ahead of time. Um, because what Google's or YouTube's doing now is they can actually um, essentially figure out uh, or they're, they're actually like transcribing your, your videos to actually uh, figure out what your video is about. Whereas before they would almost rely primarily on like the tags and, and uh, you know, the, the title of your videos or whatever. Um, so you want to make sure that ahead of time, you, you kind of are sprinkling in and, and saying the right stuff, um, have a really good consistent flow and, and, and very clear audio. Um, obviously, you know, nowadays, like, Again, the bar is just being set a lot higher on YouTube, so you want to make sure like video is very clear. You uh, you want to have a professional mic, which you know you can buy for like a hundred bucks nowadays. Um, and then um, yeah, and then in terms of the promotion thing, one of the things that has helped really really well for us is utilizing our email list. So you know whenever we create a U YouTube video, um, we'll email our list and we'll send them directly to that uh, YouTube video. And so when, again, when YouTube is detecting that like early engagement and people are liking it, they're going to be much more um, willing to kind of show that in the feed and, and bring your video up in the, uh, the search results. So uh, those are um, some of the things that have worked for us and, and obviously having a really good uh, thumbnail. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we've learned that as well. Very cool, man. I appreciate that. And if folks are trying to up their game with audio and video, there's something called the Soapbox Station. That's actually what I'm using here. And there's a like a five or $600 version of it. It's from Wistia and you buy, they have a shopping list and you buy all the parts and just, you know, hammer it into a, a wooden box in essence and it's, you can carry it around. I've also seen this Moran's Professional Turret that's like two, 300 bucks. Um, I think the audio or the video quality is good. Uh, but anyways, there's, there's such inexpensive ways these days to, yeah, you know, to crazy. the game. Yeah, yeah, it's really nice. So, well, sir, thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, join me today. Thanks for all your tips. I know we could keep going for quite some time, but I'm going to take us out here halfway past the hour. If folks want to keep up with you. They should hit Twitter and look for C Gimmer and of course, snapit.com and check out the blog and all the stuff that you've been working on. Um, coming up next week, we have Rand Fishkin and we'll be talking about spelunking for web marketing opportunities. Um, Rand is the co-founder of Moz and the founder of SparkToro and uh, author of Lost and Founder. And he's got some really, always has unique insights to share. So really looking forward to uh, seeing you back here. Same time, same place next week, microconfonair.com. See ya.